So if you could, I want to ask you to read with me. We're going to read this whole chapter together, really quickly together. But I just want us to take the whole thing in a little bit and see what God is doing in the midst of this here this morning. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, we're going to read verses 1 to 22. And it says, When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day forsaking me and serving other gods so that they, also, they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to, to, to his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be performers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to the officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no. But there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to, in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey their voice, make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you that you are Lord of all. God, I thank you so much that you are King of kings. Father God, as we read this tragic verse, I pray that we would recognize and understand that it's not too far from where we navigate daily in our own lives. Father God, let us see the error of our ways. God, let us see that true kingship lies in you. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, up to this point, the children of Israel have been through a lot. Samuel has become their judge. They've come under attack by the Philistines. Samuel has led the people of Israel to, 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 uh, 
to repent. He has led them to get rid of their false idols. He has led them to worship the one true God within this time frame. And so where we are to this point has been several years later. And the people begin asking for a king. The big people begin asking for a king. And the thing that we have to understand as we move into this, Israel has been ruled by uh, judges. And these judges, not necessarily in rule as a king, but God has ordained these men to step into these roles to lead Israel. Lead Israel according to the Lord. And so up to this point, they've had judges. They've had several judges. Gideon being one. Eli, who was the one right before Samuel. And then Samuel being the last of those judges. As they begin to transition into a mon monarchy. As they begin to transition into having a king. And, uh, and so the thing that we have to understand before we move into this is that the idea of Israel having a king is not too far-fetched and it is not far off of what God's intentions for his people are to have. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 17, 15, he says, You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord, Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. So the thing we have to understand as we kind of get into what God's got for us is the idea that they were asking for a king is not where they fell short. You know, we thrive under, the, under authority, right? We thrive under guidance. We, we thrive over, uh, under uh, uh, guardrails and regulations and things. Nothing can function without some structure to it. And so we're asking, you know, the prayer that they're praying there is, God, give us a king. You know, we want a king, but it's not they're asking for a king that was wrong, but it's the motives that moved their ideas and their desires for a king. Because what we'll see in the text is that, that, that they, weren't rejecting, uh, they weren't rejecting the idea of having a king. They were rejecting God as their king. They were rejecting God as their king to pursue their own way to a king. You know, because when we read in that verse in Deuteronomy 17, it says that God will choose your king. You know, and ultimately we know that every authority is established by God. There is no authority in heaven or on earth that is established separate from God's ordination. God allows, God, God is the one that sets authority, not man. But sometimes that authority that is in place is through our sinfulness or our selfishness. And it is God that allows those things to step into place. And so what we see this morning is, is I want us to see Israel begin to move into this place where they begin to look away from the God of Israel that has led them, that has been with them, that has provided for them time and time and time again. Because if we look back, if you just kind of glance through the chapters in the books that we've been through up to this point in 1 Samuel, God has done amazing things in the lives of these people. And a lot of times we could ask ourselves, how in the world could they ever move towards anything or believe or trust in anything besides the God of Israel that has done so much for them? Well, we ask ourselves that question in church. I believe we find ourselves at the answer in our own lives time and time and time again. How often has God provided for us and we still tend to look for other things? And so the first thing that I want us to see is their reasons for rejecting. And what we'll see is that their reasons for rejecting this idea, this, this structure that was in place, aren't necessarily all in the wrong place. Like I said, their asking for a king is not what was wrong, but it's their motivation for the king is where it was brought them into a place of sin. And so the reasons for rejecting, we begin to see here in verse 5 of, uh, of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. The, the 
elders have gathered together and they've decided, hey, we need to do something different. We want something different. And so they go to Samuel and they say to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your way. And so right off the bat, we see number one, they say, brother, you're old. They say, we need something new. We need something new. They begin to acknowledge the fact that Samuel is old in age. Uh, you know, regardless of everything great, that Samuel, Samuel is a great man. One of the greatest men that we'll read in the Old Testament. He is a great man that brought Israel to a great place of following and worshiping the Lord. And this is where we begin to see the transition happen for these people. But they go to Samuel, regardless of what he's done. They say, you're old. They say, you're tired. They say, There's, you've spent enough time doing what you're doing. And we're looking for the next greatest thing. You know, and I, I believe and I, and I think you can uh, follow this in, in your own life that the next greatest thing isn't always the best thing, right? That the beauty of age or the beauty of time spent is brings so much more to the table than a lot of times we give it credit for. And even in my Christian life, I would still consider in my young Christian life, there is a lot of things that the Lord has rebuked me on that I've maybe pushed away because of uh, they're not fresh and began to see the beauty in those things. You know, God has provided us with so much rich history as a church that, the, that too often the, the, the contemporary church wants to push away from the rich history of what God's done when in reality it's some of the most beautiful things that we can grab a hold of. You know, old does not mean outdated, whether it's people or systems or their wisdom or their experiences. They are vital to our development today. Just the same way as we as a country rest in the history of what's come before us, we as a church have to rest in and grab a hold of the history that's come before us and where it's brought us. Has it always been perfect? Absolutely not. And we'll see that as we move a little bit forward. I mean, the reality is we we read week after week and I encourage you to read day after day on an almost 2000 year old book that rings true and that communicates a cohesive narrative better than any other historical book and has more historical backing and manuscripts to support it than any other historical document in history. Old is not always bad. You know, uh, Read one of my uh, my second to youngest. He asked me whenever my birthday was coming up, and I may have already shared this with you before. But he asked me, he said, "Dad, when you're 32, are you going to go move and live at a different house because you're older now?" You know, he just he had this idea in his mind. Apparently, he had the old folks' home in mind. He said, "Dad, when you hit 32, that's it, right? Like you're you've got to move on somewhere else. We're going to get a fresh new dad in here with some life about him." You know, I I don't know exactly what he had in mind. But, you know, I'm learning day after day that, that age is just a number and, and you're only old if you think you're old. But so they say, they go to Samuel and they say, look, you've been around long enough. And not only that, the next thing that they say, the next reason they say for rejecting is they say this, is they say the people, because the thing is, judges were appointed by God and by other judges. And so what Samuel did is he appointed his sons to judges in Beersheba. And so they come to Samuel and they say, not only are you old, but they also say that the system that you've put in place is faulty because your sons are sinful. And they were sinful. The Bible tells us that they were greedy, that they were selfish, and they were treating people unjustly. 
And so they see a failure in the religious leaders of their time. They say that we're rejecting this idea of the king that's currently established or the system that's established where we have this judge that is communicating to God and then is communicating to us. They say we're rejecting that because we're seeing the failures of religious leaders in our country. You know, then they were. They were taking bribes. They were being unjust in how they dealt with people and treating people unfairly. They were not accurately representing the Lord and his work for his people. And you know what? Historically, the church has been a poor example of God's goodness. Mostly because it will continue and always be run by humans who are faulty. But, you know, and even as as a church or representatives of a church have been uh, at the forefront of some tragedies in history. You know, in scandal even more recent years, has begun to rock the church and and it brings the gospel into disrupt and it, it closes the doors to gospel work. But the thing that we have to understand, even in the failures of religious leaders, that it cannot disrupt the work of a sovereign God. That even when God's people fail, God's plan still prevails. That even when God's people are not acting or representing in the way that they should, God's work is not shook up. God's work continues. God's work carries on. And the thing that we have to constantly remember is the thing that David communicates to the people on Psalm 146, verses 3 through 4. He says, Do put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to earth. And on that very day, the plans perish. The day that I die or the day that my words or my intentions fail. The very day that I die or the day that if you depended on me for anything, that dependence goes away. I have nothing else for you at that point. If our faith is shaken by a religious leader, it shows us that our faith was in the wrong place. Should we have be able to have trust and faith in our pastors and elders and deacons and, and people of leadership? Absolutely. And the Bible holds, the, holds them, holds us, holds me to those standards. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't refute that. It doesn't make that any less important. But what it does tell us is it reminds us that my complete dependence is not on my preacher or pastor or Sunday school teacher. It's in the Lord. And that if they fail, God as king over me does not change. Their failure is not a reflection of the goodness and grace of God. No matter how horribly or how poorly that religious leader has treated me, it is not a reflection of who God is. And listen, there have been some, some religious people and some pastors and preachers that have treated people terribly in history, even in recent years, have just used and abused individuals. And listen, it will continue to happen. Heed my words. It will continue to happen because men are faulty and they're, and they're sinful. And sometimes it's in the midst of our, our sin and our desires that we're drawn away from who God maybe had us to be at one point. We see that as David, as David was a man after God's own heart, would be led into lustful situations. Listen, there will always be that draw. And, and, and I truly believe the enemy knows he goes after the weaknesses of those people that are strong representatives of God. So believe this. If you ever start stepping in line with what God's got for you, expect the enemy to attack you. Because he believes his lies that if I can break him down, it'll take their focus off of God, see the faultiness of this leader, and then they'll turn their backs on God, which we see happening right here. So it is a real problem. Should we always be prepared from the attacks of the enemy? Absolutely. 
A church should our spiritual lives and our spiritual development be dependent on a man? Absolutely not. Our lives are dependent on the Lord, and it's He who we follow. Are, am, am I a, a, a shepherd to you? Absolutely. I'm an under-shepherd to the great shepherd. Not, I'm not, if I'm not following the great shepherd, I'm not being an under-shepherd to you. And then he continues on, and, he, and they give the, the other reasons why they've begun to reject this idea and the system that was in place in verse 20, we'll jump down there. It's got a better, clearer explanation of how this plays out. In verse 20, they say this. They say that we may also be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. To be like all the other nations. Church, that's significant. You know, and that's what's beautiful about an almost 2,000-year-old book, speaking right into Jake's life today and telling me, dude, why are you trying to be like everybody else? Why are you trying to look like the world around you? Why are you trying to function within the systems that the world uses when you know God's system is so much more specific? God's system is uniquely wound to help people, to help you, to lead, guide, and direct you in all His ways. God called His people to be a nation that was different. The children of Israel were different because their nation was not ruled by a king. It was the only nation not ruled by a king. They were ruled by God. They were governed by God. The problem with asking for a king is they were asking to look like everyone else. There is nothing unique about a kingdom ruled by an earthly king. There is nothing unique about an individual ruled by an earthly king. Henry Barr said this. He says, elsewhere the king was God. In Israel, it was God who was king. When God ceases to be king, then our kings of our life become our gods. You know, and maybe that's not someone externally from us. Maybe that's ourselves. Maybe we have established ourselves as king of our life. And in that sense, if God is not king, and if we're king, then we have become our God. We've become the source of our worship. We've become the focus of what we do. Your kingdom rests and depends on the power of the power and the strength of its king. You know, for many years, they depended on God to fight their battles. For many years, they depended on the direction. You know, when they, came out of it, when they came out of Egypt, they depended on the pillar of fire at night to guide them through the darkness. They depended on the pillar of smoke during the day to lead them through the wilderness. They depended on God. They depended on His strength and His abilities. They depended on Him for provision, for food and for water, for all these things. And then they get to this point and they have the audacity to say that we want a king to fight our battles. Man, that just tears me up. That, that we would ever get to a point where we completely miss every good work God has done for us and we begin to even remotely believe there is anything that can fight for us like God can fight for us. How often are we attributing power to lesser things, thinking, just remotely believing that they're getting me through my life or my struggles or my difficulties or helping me overcome my sin, to ever think that it's anything else but God that's led me through that? You know, and this 
brings me back to Romans 12, uh, chapter 2, when Paul would write to the people of Rome, he would say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewer of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He tells us if we begin to conform or grab a hold of the things around us, that we will miss the will of God. We will miss his good and perfect works. We will miss what he wants to do with my family. I will miss what he wants to do with me within the, the aspect of my church and what he wants to lead me through. Christ as Lord is a calling for us that is different and not like the surrounding culture. Exodus 19.6, and he says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Holy, set apart, different. Leviticus 20, verse 26, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. He says we are meant to look and to be different. They lacked the faith to believe that God would be what he was intending on doing and providing and leading them. Church, and I really believe this was their biggest problem, that they allowed their fear of being unique keep them from being uniquely blessed. We are so afraid to look different that we will push away the blessings of being in God's kingdom of experiencing what it is to be a kingdom citizen because we're afraid of what it will look like to be different. Because they're grasping for something that makes sense. They're grasping for something that, they, that, that does not take faith, that does not take any kind of, uh, any kind of dependence. And, and, and this brings us to Exodus 32.1. When Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, he says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves. They were in fear. They wanted something tangible. They wanted to see something. They wanted to, to, to have something that they could touch and hold and know this is the thing that is, that is responsible for where we are. And so what did they do? They gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Anytime we make something else a God in our lives, it's usually always from a source of fear. They didn't know where Moses was. They weren't looking to the Lord for their provision. They said, we need something to go before us. They were becoming infatuated with the systems around them and they were missing the blessings he had given them. So not only were they rejecting, we see the reasons they were rejecting, but the second thing that we see is what they had forgotten. What they had forgotten in verse 8. When God is speaking to Samuel, he says, according to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt... They were so distracted and drawn towards what seemed normal and culturally relevant that they had forgotten what God had done. And, and for us, that seems so far-fetched that they could ever forget that God led them across the Red Sea, led them out of slavery. He says, I brought them out of Egypt. I did these things 
for them. It had been a little over 300 years since then. God had led them out of slavery in Egypt. Several years before that, right in, in verse 7, right before this, that God granted them victory in glorious fashion. It says with a mighty thunder from heaven that it caused the Philistines to fear him. God literally had just won a battle on their behalf. And they had already forgotten it. Why? Because they were distracted by what seemed normal. This seems like this is how things are supposed to look. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is how I'm supposed to act. This is how we're supposed to function because this is what the culture around us is doing. Disregard the fact that God led us out of that place to where we are. Disregard the fact that even in our disruption, even in our anger towards God for not providing, and even in the moment, short moments after being led out of the slavery of Egypt, they would have the audacity to say, you know what, we were better off in Egypt. And what did God do for them? God still provided for them because we serve a God that is not like the system of the world. The system of the world would have said, I'm done with you. You've turned your back on me. I'm turning my back on you. I don't have time for you. I have better things to invest in. I have better people to invest in. I have better work to be, gone, to be done. But what did God say? God said, I'll provide for them. You know what? They're, they still experience the sufferings for their sins, but what they didn't ever lack was God's good grace and mercy to continue to lead them. What God continued to do for them was to love them in the midst of that. And what else had they forgotten? It shows that they had forgotten because in verse 8 it says that they were forsaking me. That word forsake means to abandon or to desert. They had left the Lord for lesser things constantly in the wake of His glorious provision. And we act as if we would never do the same. But too often, church, I believe we find ourselves in that same place. Deserting the Lord, deserting what he's done and who he is and what he provides to us for lesser things. Because they give us some sense of momentary fulfillment. Because they give us some sense of momentary satisfaction or importance or value. You know, in Jeremiah 2.13, just such a sobering verse for me in the Bible. One that I've had to constantly come back to to remind myself of who I am and who I depend on. But Jeremiah writes this and tells this to the people. He says, this is God speaking. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. They've deserted me. The fountain of living water the source of life, the source of eternal life. He says that they've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out or they've made for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He says they've stopped depending on me for water. They started making their own means to collect water, but the means at which they collect the substance that provides for them is broken and it will eventually run dry. He tells us, Church, that we cannot be dependent on anything else in our life for satisfaction and fulfillment because it may satisfy for the moment. It may catch the water and the rain that we need to be provided for in the moment, but it's broken and it will slowly leak until that point where it leaves us bone dry, frantically searching for the provision that we need. And God tells us that it's in him that we find that. And so not only had they forgotten something, church, but it says that their king would cost them something. That this king is going to cost you something. And we see it in verse, starting in verse 11, and we see it repeated six times in these verses. He says, he will take. Church, the difference between the king that they had and the king that they were asking for is the kings that they were asking for were takers. 
The kings that they were asking for would be those who would require taxes from them. The king that they were asking for is the king that would require labor from them. The king that they were asking for is the king that would take from them to better themselves, to establish their own kingdom, to establish their own good, to establish their own provision. The king that they were asking for would be a taker, where not every king is a taker because the king of kings is a giver. And the king of kings had been their king for this whole time, giving and giving and giving and giving to them and now they're at this point where they're asking for a physical king somebody that we can attribute power to somebody that we can attribute authority to physically and visually somebody that we can look at and say this is our king but the thing that they were neglecting to understand and the thing God said Samuel warned them, them of this is that those kings would be takers those kings are going to take from you. In church, anything in our life that is king besides the king of kings is going to constantly take from us. If I'm my own king, church, I'm a selfish human being. I'm going to take from what I need. I'm going to take from the people around me. Listen, if your job is king, I don't care if you have the greatest job in the world, that job is going to take from you. It's going to take your joy at times. It's going to take your time from your family at times. It's going to take from you. Everything is going to take from you other than the king of kings. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Matthew 20, verse 28, it says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. There is no king that Israel will have from this moment on that would ever come as a servant, not to be served, but to serve. Every king that comes after this will require service. Every king that comes will require sweat. Every king that comes will require their goods, the best of their goods, to be taxed. You know, and the, and the people of God have the audacity later on to even say in John, in the later ver chapters of John, that they would say, crucify him, that we have no other king but Caesar. When Caesar was the very one holding those people under oppression. But they would embrace slavery rather than embrace Christ as king. And then what does it say in verse 22? And we'll finish up shortly. In verse 22, God says this to tell Samuel, to tell the people of Israel. He says, obey their voice and make them a king. You know, and we can read that and move past it pretty quickly and really not gather anything substantial from it. But I hope that you can see the terror in those voices. In this moment when he would say, God would say, Obey their voice and make them a king. Even though this is God's ordination on a moment, God's giving his okay to something, which is ironic because they're asking not to be under the rule of God and God ultimately is still under the rule of who is going to be over the, the rule over them. So in a sense, God is still ruling them. They're just ignorant to that. And we tend to be ignorant when we think that we're in charge of things that we're really not. But not only is this an ordination from God where God allows something to happen, but this is also a judgment. This is an act of judgment to get them what they're asking for. Church, it's a scary place to be in the midst of what we want. 
Because I don't know about you, and maybe you're a lot better off than me, but I tend to be a little selfish. I tend to be a little misguided. I tend to only have my best interests in mind. And if I was constantly driven by that idea, doing the things I want, having the things I want, the things I think I want, I would be led to places of hurt. I would be led to places of, 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 of spiritual poverty. Psalm 106, David says this. He says, He gave them what they asked, but sent wasting disease among them. Church, for us to ever be under the authority of our own kingship is a scary place to be. And if God has allowed us to be where we want to be, it's an act of judgment on us. The worst place we can be is functioning according to our own authority. You know, and, and we see this play out in Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but I just want to share this with you. You know, Romans chapter 1 tells us that God is evident in creation, that, that no person can, can get away from the fact that God is evident in all of creation and that they can see that. But the thing that's, that we have to understand is that the God that's evident in creation, what they see in creation, what they recognize in creation isn't enough for their salvation. That salvation comes through Christ. And salvation only comes through Christ the way the truth and the life through Christ as king. And so the people in Romans 1, when he's telling them, he says that, they, that they, the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, they're made clear and perceived ever since creation of the world and the things that have been made. But what happens is, is that they begin to worship the creation. They begin to worship the things that are around them. They begin to make king the creation rather than the creator. And what does God do there as they constantly pursue this, as they constantly go towards this, it says, therefore God God gave them up to the lusts of their heart. God allowed them to go the direction that they wanted to go. It says that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Verse 26, it says that he gave them up to dishonorable passions. In verse 28, it says that they gave them up to a debased mind. He says that they gave them up to the things that they were wanting. They had made all these other things king. And God, very similar to how he says in 1 Samuel, says, obey their voice. If that's the king they want, allow them to have that king. But like we've said, every king other than the king of kings is takers. There is nothing that we've allowed to rule over our lives or be important to us that will not take from us constantly, tax us, labor us. Church, too often we want the God that gives, but not through obedience. You know, and... And what this would also cost them and what they would forget to see, you know, as they asked for, they said, or, you know, early on, you know, God says, he says that, that ever since I brought them out of Egypt, God acknowledging, I, I brought them out of slavery. And if this is what they want, let this happen. And what does he say moving further down after he's taken that saying that this king will take, this king will take, this king will take, this king will take. In verse 17, he says, He will take the tenth of your flocks. And at the end of verse 17, he says this, And you shall be his slaves. So where they, are, they think they're gaining freedom, they're actually gaining bondage. Where they think they're stepping out from under the rule and authority of God, they're stepping into the bondage that they once had in Egypt. 
Church, when we begin to worship and rest under a king, any other king than the king of kings that brings us from our slavery, that brings us from our bondage, if we are seeking kingship from anything else, myself, my job, my family, my circumstances, my situation, my, my property, my, my, the things that I own, if I allow any of those things to become king of my life, then I have taken myself out from under the wings of the king that has led me out of slavery. And I have put myself back under the authority of a king that will require from me, that will put me in bondage to its expectations. They forgot their redemption. They were trading freedom in God for slavery to an earthly system. Listen, in earthly systems, the things that, that are around us, they make sense because we see them play out. They make sense because we see the cause and effects of them. We, they, they, they seem normal to the culture around us, the, the ideals, the, the, the way at which they function. They just seem normal. They, say, they seem like they work. They seem like they make people happy. You know, these ideals and these cultural uh, revelations and these things that people say and do. What God tells them is, listen, I led you out of slavery. And what do the people cry for? They cry for a king that is leading them back into it. So why does this matter to us as we finish up this morning, church? Because I believe it's this. The authority over us is the identity that defines us. The strength that fights for us and the confidence that guides us. When I am king of my own life, I'm weak and I'm going to fail. You know, when my job is king, it's going to disappoint. When my social life is king, I'm eventually going to be left alone, still wanting. Any other king may seem attractive, but will ultimately disappoint. Just as we've sung this morning, God is faithful. God is good. His promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And because he's given us that, he assures us that when Christ is king, we are uniquely placed and eternally sealed as citizens of the greatest kingdom ruled by the most gracious king. That we are valuable in him, we are empowered through him, and that we are instructed by him. This king that is hands-on, this king that is a servant of servants, this king that is a king of kings, that leans into life where we are, into our mess and the muck and the mire. And in this, God has called us to be set apart, to not be like the others outside of his kingdom. You know, the people in Judges chapter 8, the people asked Gideon, if you're familiar with Gideon, they asked Gideon and his sons, they said, we want you to be king, Gideon. And Gideon's response is a perfect response that we should be able to carry out through the, the rest of this series and in the rest of our, our time. They said, rule over us. But Gideon's response was this. He says, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Church, I pray this morning that as we contemplate these things, that you would consider this, that you would think about your relationships to things like money, your stuff, entertainment, your family members, peers, activities. In what ways are we guilty? 
What ways are we guilty of trying to be like the world around us rather than to be set apart for God, bringing them to the world that defines you rather than to world, the world you've left behind you? Resting in this world, the, the, the way that defines us in Christ rather than the world that we've left behind us. How can we better demonstrate kingdom citizenship with Christ as King? I believe it's in how we worship God, how we love other people, and how we lead other people. As simple as that sounds, I pray that it would be the defining factor of our life. That we would be set apart, that we would be different, that we would function by God's system of worship and love and leading. And that Christ would be King and no lesser King would be King of our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Father, I thank you that you've invited us into a kingdom that is ruled by a gracious king that is different than anything else the world can ever really understand. A king that is not a taker, but a king that is a giver, a giver of life, a giver of comfort, a prince of peace, a lord of lords, name above all names. Father, I know day after day we give ourselves over to lesser things. But God, day after day I'm thankful that your word tells us your mercies are new every day. Father God, if in this moment, Lord, we have given ourselves over to lesser things, God, we have given ourselves over to our own kingship, God, we're, we're reigning and ruling over our own lives. God, or we've allowed some other thing in our life to be king, to rule us to be the source of our worship, to be the source of our, our, our identity. Father God, I pray that we would see the bondage of that place. God, that we would rest in the freedom that you've offered us in you, in Christ Jesus. God, that there's no greater king than you. God, I pray we would have ceased to, to forsake you. God, I pray that we would continue to seek you in all your ways, God, in all our faults and all our failures. God, that you would be king of kings in our life. Father, continue to challenge us. God, continue to show us what it is you have for us. God, lead, guide, and direct us in all your ways. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, thank you so much.